I just, I just got to ask, how many of you during that bumper, they got to a song and you go, no, 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 don't change it. That's my jam. Right? It was funny because like every song, different people started bobbing and weaving. So, hey, I'm, I'm really glad to be back with you here at The Crossing. Uh, my name is Mark, and Shane and I have been friends Gosh, for a long time. We actually went to college together as undergraduates. And back then, I've been known him so long, I used to have hair when I first met him. <laughs> it's been a long time, bro, since I've had hair. So uh, I'm, I want to talk to you today about something that every single person is interested in. It doesn't matter where you come from, how old you are, how young you are, whether you're a Christian, a pre-Christian, a post-Christian. Every human being in the world wants happiness. And I want to talk to you about how you can raise your level of happiness, not tomorrow, today, in five minutes. Yin? See, happiness, happiness is, is like, it is so important to us that we will actually measure morality by whether it makes us happy. We will justify our behavior. Oh, it makes me happy. So it must be right. Now, here's what's interesting. As, I, as I, I look at this kind of theology of happiness, there's this metric of happiness, I see a lot of adults saying, it makes me happy, so it must be right. I have never heard a parent apply that to their child. Like, if that makes you happy, it must be the right thing to do. Because if you've got an eight-year-old son, anyone, the eight-year-old boy, you know what makes him most happy, like the pinnacle of happiness, is riding a skateboard off the roof into the swimming pool. Like, that would be happy for an eight-year-old boy. Not okay, right, Mom? If you have a toddler and a fork, that toddler with the fork, what he wants, what he desires is an electrical outlet to see if it fits. Not okay. Because what you know, what I know, is that moments of happiness can breed decades of regret. You know who knows that more than anybody else? Like the, the city in the United States that knows that more than any other city, Las Vegas, because it doesn't all stay here. And so I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this idea, and yet I keep hearing people say, it makes me happy, it makes me happy, so it can't be, how's the song go, that bad. I can't get Sheryl Crow out of my head. It's like I keep hearing in my head this song You heard that too, right? Okay, wasn't just me. Awesome. Cheryl Crow, if we, if, if we brought that song to church and baptized it, here's what it would sound like. And I hear, I hear Christians say this all the time. God wants me happy. So what do you think? Does God want you happy? Does God want you happy? As a pastor, I've been a pastor for decades, 100% of the time when someone says to me, Pastor, God wants me happy. They are about to make a tragic mistake, usually with their marriage. On the other hand, 100% of the time when someone says, Pastor, God, I, I just don't think God wants me happy. God doesn't want me happy. 100% of the time, it's because they've had a setback in life. They lost a job or a child or a dream or their health. And God just doesn't want me happy. And every time someone says, God wants me happy, I say, no, no, no. No, he doesn't. Not like this. And every time someone says, God doesn't want me happy, I say, yes, 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 he does. So I'm schizophrenic as a pastor on this topic. So what do you think I'm going to say? Does God want you happy? Yes, he does. 
And I, when I was preparing th this message, I was listening to other pastors who said this. And, and it's not to bash anybody. God doesn't want you happy. He wants you holy. I was like, that even rhymes. Like, I could use that in a sermon. Except it's not true. Because... Saying God wants you holy, not happy, assumes that holiness and happiness are two different things. And in my experience, holiness doesn't inhibit happiness, it leads to happiness. So what I would like to do is just answer this question, how does God want you to be happy? Because he does. And today, when you walk out, you will be able to be happier in five minutes or less. But before I talk about the scriptures on happiness, I want to talk about the science of happiness. So if you'll bear with me, I want to give you a little TED talk on happiness, if that's okay, before I just start preaching. If you are in the medical community or counseling or psychotherapy, this will not come as a surprise to you. Over the past 25 years, we have done immense research on human happiness. Not for Christians or non-Christians, just people. We know what makes people happy and how you can be happier. So let me just talk about a little bit of that. First, I want to begin by talking about your brain. Because happiness is in your head. And it is a chemical cocktail that you control. Made up of three specific chemicals. The first is oxytocin. Now oxytocin is the comfort chemical. So it comes a lot from like human touch. So I'm looking at this delightful young couple down here. He's got his arm over her shoulder and he just, you know, kind of rubs her arm. He's been doing it the whole service. And even as I say that, some of you are like reaching out, holding other people's hands like, oh yeah, that'd make me happy. So I hope you know the person, but anyway, whatever, good luck. <laughs> Happiness comes from that the oxytocin. When he puts his arm around you and touches you, or when you like she's leaning in on him now, you know, hand on her, his leg, and he's happy about that. That is a, a little squirt of oxytocin. <laughs> Not a lot, just, just a little squirt. Babies need it from their mother, or they literally die. Uh, men need it from women, men need it from men. Like when we shake hands, slap each other on the back, chest bump, that's all oxytocin. It's saying, uh, I trust you, I'm comforted by your physical touch. Uh, I love oxytocin, but if I was going to be an addict, I would want to be an addict to dopamine because this is the drug of adrenaline. Hi, my name is Mark, and I am an adrenaline junkie. If I am on my road bike going down a mountain and I realize I'm going fast enough that if I crash, I will be in a coma, that to me is happiness. <laughs> Anyone else? Like you jump out of airplanes and you just do, it, like if you can maim yourself, that is a good day. That's the dopamine in you. Now, some of you aren't adrenaline junkies. You still love dopamine because dopamine is the drug of discovery. When you learn something new, when you see something different, you have a new experience, and all of you get a dopamine dose, like a dozen times a day or more. You know how? You know how? You know how? With your cell phone. Like, scientists have actually measured this. When it dings, buzzes, vibrates, you go, ooh. 
somebody likes me. And you pick it up and are disappointed usually. But it's the, the dopamine. Do you realize 80% of teenagers admit feeling addicted to their cell phones? You know why? Because they are literally, they are addicted to the dopamine rush from the dings, bells, and whistles of their phone. And so are you too. So, uh, dopamine is this discovery uh, hormone, and it's just like a little, little blast in your brain. The third one is serotonin. That is the drug or the chemical of respect. So when someone salutes you, when someone says, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, when someone asks your opinion, you just feel important and significant. That is godly and good. We all need all of these chemicals. But here's what God did that I think is genius. You ever heard people say the difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is fleeting and joy is permanent? That's not true. Scientifically, it is not. Biologically, it's not true. Here's why. Your brain cannot distinguish between joy or happiness. It is all a chemical cocktail that you can control. But here's the genius of it. All of those chemicals, you just it. How long do they last? Not very long. Well, that was mean. Doesn't God want me to, to, to be happy for life? No, he doesn't. L listen, here's how I, I would say it. You were not designed for long-term happiness, but long-term habits. And what, the way God designed your body and your brain is that when you do something positive, you get tss, tss, and, and then it wears off, so you do it again and again and again and again. Your habits of happiness create happy families, and happy families create happy communities. See, that's why God wants you addicted to these chemicals and why he wants you addicted to the habits of happiness, because it's not just for you. It's for all of those around you. So let me ask you to shift gears just a little bit. Where are you going to find those chemicals? There are three sources of happiness in all of us. You're no different than me. One is genetics. Actually, genetics account for 50% of your happiness. In other words, some of you have a natural set point of happiness that's higher and some a natural set point that's lower. So uh, to, to put it in terms of Winnie the Pooh, uh, some of you are Tigger and some of you are Eeyore. <laughs> I, I love Eeyore. My favorite line from Eeyore is, I am happy. <laughs> now, don't tell her I said this, but uh, my wife is Eeyore, I'm Tigger. <laughs> One of the great tensions of our marriage, I went, hey, let's go, let's play. And she's going, okay, let me get ready. And it's uh, like, there's, there's some differences between us. It's not good, it's not bad. Your set point of happiness, some of you is naturally lower, and some of you is naturally higher. That's only 50%. The other 50% is divided between these two things, circumstances and choices, circumstances and choices. Which do you think is more important? Choices. But how much more important? Like what percentage would you guess? If you came with someone that you actually like, go ahead and lean over them, guess what percentage of your happiness is dependent on the choices you make? It is 40%. 
Now, let me tell you why this is important. Most of us assume that my circumstances determine my happiness. I won the lottery. Woo! I, I got in an accident. Oh. I got a new job. I got, an, I, 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 I got sick. We think that our external circumstances determine our happiness, but that, that is 10% of your happiness. Now, you might think that 40% isn't a lot, but if I gave you $50,000 to invest in the stock market and you could control 40% of your investments, you would be stupid, filthy rich. And what God has done is given you the ability to be stupid, filthy, happy by the choices that you make. How? This is where it gets down to brass tacks. Most of us have two mechanisms for happiness, a public mechanism and a private mechanism. On the public scale, what we're looking for is wealth, image, and position. <laughs> they did a survey of millennials and said, what do you mo want most in life? 80% of millennials want to be rich and another 50% want to be famous. Good luck with that. <laughs> Let me ask you, do you think that money makes people happy? I heard a lot of no's. The answer is actually yes. Money does make people happy, but only up to a certain level of income. Like there's a magic line in the sand that if you have more than that amount of money, you're not really all that much happier. So here's the magic line. If you make $5,000 a year, you are much less happy than those who make $50,000 a year. Why? Because you can't afford health care. You probably can't afford good housing. You might be food insecure. All of those things will impact your happiness where your physical security is jeopardized. But listen, once you make $50,000 a year, the amount of money you make after that is infinitesimally small happiness in your life. There is virtually no difference in the happiness level of those who make $50,000 a year uh, with those who make $5 million or $50 million a year. So yes, money can make you happy, but only to the, to the line where you are secure. The other is image. And we think that if I'm, if I'm more well-liked, if I get more likes on Facebook, more followers on Instagram, then I will be happier. That is absolutely untrue. Your popularity never converts to personal happiness. How do we know? If you're a parent, please listen to what I'm about to say. If your child spends more than X amount of minutes on social media a day, like on their phone, period, they will inevitably, 100% of the time, experience a depressive episode that lasts between three months and three years. So somebody should ask, what's the magic number of minutes? It is 120 minutes a day. If you spend more than two hours a day on social media, you will, 100% of the time, you will inevitably find yourself depressed, and it will last between three months and three years. Why? Because living for likes will not make you like the way you live. The third is position. 
Now, some of you are prone to this. I just, I want, I, I want to uh, accelerate my career. I want more people to recognize me. I want more power. I want more authority. None of these work, and here's why. Have you ever uh, watched people play football? You know, you got an end zone there, and you're on the 50-yard line. And you think, okay, we need to march down the field. So you get a 20-yard gain, and now you're really close. You know what we do? And we do it with wealth. We do it with image. We do it with position. We naturally push the field goal back. When you make $100,000, you know what you want to make? 100,001. You make $500,000, you know what you want to make? $500,000 and one. When you have a, a, a hundred likes on Facebook, you know what you want? A hundred and one. If you have a certain level of power, you know what you want? Just a little more power. This will never lead to happiness. We have to use our personal mechanisms for happiness, and here they are. If we go from public to personal, relationships, growth, and service. I want to start with Relationships. Because this taps into the longest-running social study in history. It was done in the United States. It started 80 years ago. It's still going. A single experiment that's now going 80 years. Harvard University started studying with several hundred of their freshmen that were all men at the time. They've since added women, but it was all men studied freshmen at Harvard. Now, 80 years ago, if you're a freshman at Harvard, you were rich, you were intelligent, and you were powerful. But those were only half of the people in the study. The other half came from the ghettos of Boston. And they began just all, again, all men, and every year, these hundreds of people were interviewed about their health, about their relationships, about their hobbies, where they went on vacation, how they spent their spare time, how much money they had saved, how much debt they had, whether the credit card or what divorces were in their, their past. Here's the one thing, out of all of that millions of data points, here's the one thing that they say matters most to your happiness. And it's virtually the only thing. The quality of your relationships in your inner circle. It could be family, could be marriage, could be close friends. If you have quality relationships, you will be happy. If you don't, you will never be happy. That's what we know. Here's the second thing is personal growth. Sometimes we, we call this being in the zone, but learning a new musical instrument reading a good book, learning a language, traveling to another spot. Have you ever been in the zone? Like, I'm, I'm a woodworker, so when I'm in my shop making sawdust, man, I can get lost in the zone. Some of you are artists, and, and not all your paintings or all your sculptures are great, but sometimes you're in the zone, and you just get it. Some of you write music, and like, you can write an entire song in 30 seconds, and it's just, it's, you're in the zone. For some of you, that's your business. For some of you, it's like catching a one-handed catch in football. You don't even think about it. It's just natural. You're in the zone. Being in the zone leads to happiness. And the third is service. This is so critically important because I, teach, I talk to a lot of teenagers around the country, and I, I try to help them see if you, what I call honor up, like you, you get honor up from a, a teacher, a coach, a boss, it is very difficult to honor up. Let's say you're, you're second string or JV uh, on basketball. To get to play varsity or get to start on the team, honor up is very difficult. 
and it feels incredibly good for about 30 seconds because then you realize, I just, I just painted a target on my back. Everyone is after me. Honoring up takes a lot of effort and it is easily lost. But when you honor down, when you serve a, a, a child or someone with disability, when you serve the elderly, when you help the homeless, when you build a home in Honduras, you, you, that honor is easy to gain and seamless to maintain. Your happiness is in the quality of your relationships, in personal growth, and in service to others. So how are we going to get that? If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Psalm 1. Now, I know we've been talking about Psalms for several weeks, and everyone has their favorite Psalm that they're talking about. I'm not saying that I'm more important than the other speakers. I am saying that my Psalm is more important. Here's why. It's the first one. This Psalm is an entryway into worship of the Bible. So when David penned this, and when people, when the scribes put it in the very beginning, what they're saying is, this sets up the entire rest of the reading of the book of Psalms. If you don't get this, none of the rest is going to make as much sense. And it begins with the word happiness. Now, it's not translated. That's translated blessed. But this Hebrew word, ashrei, fun to say, can be translated as happy or fortunate or lucky or blessed. You want to be blessed? I know you do. How? I want to show how the science of happiness aligns with the scriptures on happiness. And what we have learned in the past 25 years is exactly what King David is advising in the Psalms 3,000 years ago. It's about relationships. It is about growth. It is about service. Watch. Relationships. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Watch this progression. Walk, stand, sit. I would want you to do life with people who are very different than you. Maybe don't have your faith commitment. But the problem is when we Maybe you notice the progression. You're walking, you're moving, and then you stand. When you walk, you're shoulder to shoulder. When you stand, you're face to face. When you sit, you're settled. When you move in with someone, when you get married to someone, when you give someone your heart, you automatically adopt their character. Now, again, last week I was speaking to like 600 high school students, they were stunned when I said, you know how everyone's telling you to resist peer pressure, resist peer pressure, you don't cave into peer pressure? You can't. You can't resist peer pressure. What? No, God made you gregarious. Fish swim in schools, birds fly in flocks, dogs run in packs, and you were designed to be influenced by those that you let into your inner circle. You can't help that. Your choice is not whether to submit to peer pressure, but what peers you submit to who pressure you. That's just as true for adults as it is for students. Your choice of happiness has 
everything to do with your circle of influencers. And if you don't want to be like the people you like, then stop walking with the wicked and standing with sinners and sitting with mockers. Your happiness depends on it. Here's number two, verse two. It says, but those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on the law day and night. Now, I know that in our culture, meditation is kind of the Eastern mysticism, and some Christians don't like that. I have no problem with it because, like I just read it in the Bible, meditation, whether it is sitting quietly or studying studiously, what you attend your mind to gets you to dopamine, the discovery chemical. And one of the most powerful ways, if you are in a depressed state right now, one of the most powerful ways out is by meditating on God's truths. Because instead of hearing the internal voice that's telling you, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm dumb, I'm lost, it's telling you, you're a child. You are loved. You are valued. You are created in God's image. The truths of the Bible, as you meditate on them, will change your level of happiness. Now, that's not the only way to get in the zone, but it's one of the best ways I know. Relationships, growth, and number three is in verse three. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. The third mechanism for happiness, remember it's relationships, it is growth, it is service. As you serve others, when you become a tree that bears fruit, that nourishes and helps other people, it is there you will find your greatest level of happiness. And you know what? All of us can do that. Whether it's on a mission trip to Peru or sending materials down to Houston, all of us right now today could be helpful to at least one other person. If you're not, this is how the Bible describes you. Verse 4, not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a deficit of happiness in our country. We have a deficit of happiness in this city. And you may have a deficit of happiness in your personal life. The Bible, that is, this psalm, 3,000 years old, aligns exactly with what doctors, physicians, and sociologists have noticed today. There is a way out. And so I want to give you, if I could just coach you for a moment, I, I should have like a really tender story, like a really heart tug story at the end. I don't. What I have is a five-minute coaching tip of how you can be happy in five minutes. Now again, God didn't design us for long-term happiness. He designed us for habits that are repeated over and over and over again. But if you want to be happier today, here's a solution. If you look at relationships, growth, and service, oxytocin, dopamine, and serotonin, what could you do right now to make a difference? Under relationships, gratitude. Share your gratitude with someone who's done something for you. 
I'm being serious. If you are depressed right now, one of the quickest ways through depression, and there may be no quick solution. I, I don't want to make it seem overly simple. But if you want to take a step forward, if you want to increase your happiness, just text someone before you leave the room of what a difference that they've made in your life. Go home today and, and write them a little longer letter or maybe make a phone call to say, what you've done for me has made a difference. Thank you. People who, are, who show gratitude experience less depression. Number two, uh, personal growth. I would suggest that you meditate on God's Word. Maybe you take this psalm home with you and, and memorize the first three verses. Or perhaps you just read it over and over. Or one of the things I love to do is play music that is embedded with God's scriptures so that the truths that, that begin playing through my brain over and over again overcome the lies that have been told about me. Look, if, if you grew up in a, in a family or had a relationship where you were beaten down, you, you have this on-off switch in your brain, and, and it, it, it's on, and it's on repeat, and it keeps playing the playlist over again, over again. You're dumb, you're ugly, you're lonely, you're worthless. You may have played that 100,000 times. You are going to have to play the positive message 100,001 times to get through the depression that you're in. But you can do it because God designed you for happiness. The third is generosity. Maybe today you could buy someone's coffee, do something kind, so clean up dishes after lunch. It doesn't have to be complicated. The beautiful thing is that happiness is simple. It's in micro moments that we truly find happiness. And we're going to practice something right now in the next five minutes that will lead to your happiness. I want to point out two of the words that are on the screen right now, meditation and gratitude. As the ushers come forward to serve communion, we're just going to give you some space to meditate on God's Word. You know what else we're going to do? We're going to pass out a cup that represents the blood of Jesus and the bread that represents the body of Jesus. Do any of you know what the Catholic Church calls that moment? It's not, we call it communion. They call it the Eucharist. That's a Greek word that came from the lips of Jesus. And translated, it means to give thanks. Giving thanks is core to building a relationship with God that leads to your personal happiness. Let, let me just leave you with this. The secret of happiness is in micro moments that turn into perpetual habits. And what we do week after week after week here at this church is to remember the goodness of God and show gratitude to God that leads to your happiness. I know of no greater environment that builds positive relationships, that promotes acts of service, and gives you an opportunity to meditate on the goodness of God than the church of Jesus Christ. Enjoy your moment with God, Holy Father. In these moments, we just want to say thanks. And on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, I want to thank you for three bodies. Obviously, we hold in our hands the body of Christ, and so we thank you for the sacrifice that he gave to us. We want to thank you for our own bodies, that you designed us for serotonin and oxytocin, for dopamine, 
We're grateful for that, that you designed us for happiness. And we want to thank you for the body of Christ that sits around us, that can build relationships that will build our families and build this community. God, help us through our happiness to improve the lives of others for your greater glory in Las Vegas. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.